Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Today's episode is an interview that I did with BCC Council member Dr. Rod Mays. Dr. Mays, in addition, serves on the board of directors for the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, also known as CCEF. He has over 40 years of pastoral and counseling experience. He served for over 16 years as the national coordinator for Reformed University Fellowship. That's the campus ministry wing of the Presbyterian Church of America. He's also taught counseling and other forms of practical theology at a number of seminaries, including Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, Covenant Theological Seminary, and both Westminster Seminary in California and Pennsylvania. He is the co-author of the book, Things That Cannot Be Shaken from Crossway. He is an avid tennis player, and he's been married to his wife, Debbie, for over 45 years. It was a real delight to sit down with Dr. Mays via Zoom and have this conversation. I hope it's an encouragement to you. One of my favorite things is at the end when Dr. Mays opens up and shares about some of the mistakes that he made in counseling, uh, and I appreciate the humility that he had in sharing those mistakes with us. And I was really encouraged, both personally as a counselor, and I hope for you it's encouraging as well, just to remember that we are all going to make mistakes in counseling. It's not if we do, but when we do. And the point is not to get overburdened or try to attain some level of perfection in our counseling, but really to throw ourselves at God's grace, God's mercy, and just receive that from him for both ourselves and our counselees, and then learn from those mistakes and move forward uh, in faithfulness, continuing to serve. It was a really great uh, lesson, but there are many others that I hope you pick up as well as you listen to this wonderful interview with Dr. Rod Mays. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 1514. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. And Dr. Mays, thank you for being with us as well. Uh, Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Well, uh, Rod Mays, and um, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. I've been married to Debbie for 45 years, almost 46. I have a daughter, married daughter, and um, son-in-law, two grandchildren, and they all live in Greenville. And um, we go to the same church, downtown Presbyterian in Greenville, South Carolina. Wow, that's really wonderful to have everybody so close at hand. I'm sure that's a blessing you guys enjoy quite a bit. It is. Well, the our podcast, we shifted recently to getting a little bit more personal, getting to know you as a person, and then how the Lord brought you into counseling ministry. So could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a child? Well, the growing up part is pretty easy. I grew up in uh, southern West Virginia, a little town uh, called Holden in, in Logan County, about 15 miles from the Kentucky border. And... Uh, Went to the same school for nine years and walked, came home for lunch, um, and then went to Logan High School. Um, I think as a kid, uh, I think I was a pretty good kid. Um, I don't remember too many real hassles, Um, played sports, um, had good friends, lived in kind of an idyllic 
community. My dad was a coal mining engineer. And so we lived in uh, company housing. And as you got promoted in the company, you moved up the street to a bigger house. Uh, and uh, so I grew up in that in that kind of atmosphere and environment. Um, I played a lot of tennis because the coal company provided uh, the engineers a, a swimming pool, tennis courts, company store, all that. So. Mm-hmm. We, it, was, it was sort of Mayberry in, in one sense. Uh, and uh, so I had, a, I think, a, a really great childhood. Um, uh, not any real negative memories or uh, mostly positive. Uh, my parents were believers. Um, so I grew up in a, in a Christian home. Uh, you know, our church was as I look back on it and realized in high school was not the the best church was not, uh, was not real evangelical. It was an American Baptist church, which actually was, was pretty liberal back in the day and, and still is. Uh, but, you know, I think the gospel was fairly clear uh, from my family and uh, went to church all the time. And it, it, that communicated to, to us uh, that, uh, you know, God was important. Yeah. Had one older brother. Uh, that was all my siblings. He was about five years older. And as you as you grew up, what kind of things were you interested in in your teen years? Well, as I um, got into high school, um, I, the best sport I could play uh, was tennis. And so I did... I did letter in tennis in high school and uh, later on played tennis in college. But uh, so that was that was most of my life in high school. Uh, probably a few girls thrown in here and there, um, you know, as I was just a typical high school kid. Um, but uh, worked in a drugstore um, when I turned 16 um, and uh, that opened my eyes to a lot of things, just not only in in the retail business, but in medicine. Hmm. And so there was an inkling maybe to go to med school. Um, and uh, I got to be pretty close with the pharmacist who took a, an interest in me. And so high school was pretty much playing tennis or working at the drugstore. That'll, well, that'll keep you busy between school, tennis, and, and a drugstore, and yeah. a couple of girlfriends, apparently. So, right. <laughs> well, tell tell us about your your journey to faith, in faith. You grew up in a Christian home. What right. what what? Tell us about your faith experience. Well, it was, you know, I, I think I professed faith when I was seven years old, and. Um, and I think that was I think that was genuine um, because there did appear to be some fruit and interest, and I didn't wander too far off from that uh, in high school as a typical teenager, uh, probably a little bit, uh, but got more interested. Um, in the faith, by the time I got to college, I was I was uh, uh, introduced to all the writings of uh, A. W. Pink and uh, Lorraine Bettner and um, 
there sort of became a shift in my thinking about, you know, what, what I might do, what I might do with my life. And I think that's probably where a, a sense of call to ministry started to, to take hold. There was, there was, there was always sort of an outward call there in the sense that in high school, if somebody had to pray or give a devotion or something like that, they'd usually ask me. And I, I remember some pretty good conversations in high school. Uh, but college, I think, is when things really, really started to take off. Now, where, where did you go to school and what, what did you start uh, or go there intending to study? Yeah, well, I, I actually, it, this can be a long story. I, I don't, I'll, tr- I'll try to keep it short, but there's context to it. Yeah. Um, uh, my, my brother had been a really pretty good basketball player, and, uh, and my dad was worried that he'd go away and play basketball and, and uh, not finish college, and that was my dad's dream that his boys would go to college and you know, he paid for it, saved for it. And um, uh, so they sent my brother to Bob Jones University, mm-hmm. uh, actually here in Greenville. And um, so it came time for me to go to college. I thought I would go maybe to University of Kentucky or and thinking about med school, uh, pre-med. Um, and my dad was like, no, we want you to go to Bob Jones. And, and um, if... Um, you know, a couple of years you want to transfer, then we'll talk about that. Well, I did, and uh, the Lord's hand was was certainly on that because that's where I was sort of introduced to the the books and the writings that I was telling you about, yeah. and uh, more of a reformed view of things, which at that time was definitely not the view at Bob Jones. So, by my senior year, uh, we parted company. Uh, not so much my choice, but Bob's Bob Jones's choice um, <laughs> because uh, they had received a request for my transcripts from Westminster Seminary and wanted to know why I was going to go to graduate school in Westminster Seminary. And this was back in the day when there was like a Calvinistic purge. Yeah, I, don't think yeah. I don't think it's that that way today. But but anyway, I was I was sort of a victim of that, if you want to call it that. But again. The Lord's hand was in that. I ended up going to Covenant College and graduate, and um, and that's probably where my shift really started to take toward uh, uh, being a Presbyterian. And um, uh, and my time in Covenant was, you know, was really a good time. After that, there was graduate school in, in Georgia and in, in counseling psychology and um, seminary and and. Uh, all that was was uh, Lord's preparation, particularly in when I was in grad school. Um, one day, I, I I found myself in a Gestalt therapy class, uh, and down on the floor, uh, in a fetal position with other grad and PhD students uh, on the floor, fetal position. Uh, told to get in touch with our feelings, and um, and the class was just lying there in that in that position, and then uh, reflecting on it after about twenty minutes. And uh, I had I had just read 
Jay Adams, competent to counsel. I guess that was came out in 68 or 70, somewhere mm-hmm. along there. And, um, uh, and so thankfully, I, I think I had that in my, in my mind and head the whole time I was in grad school and, uh, and, and the scriptures. And so I think all of that preparation was just to help me not to be, uh, totally secularized or have a major conflict or cognitive dissonance with my faith and what I was learning in grad school. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that you were thinking about Jay Adams writing while you were lying on the floor in a fetal position in a gestalt therapy class? I was. That's incredible. Yeah, I was. I was, I was like, okay. I think, I think Jay Adams has sort of convinced me of, of how the scriptures apply to the counseling world and the gestalt hot seat or the gestalt fetal position, I don't think has the legitimacy the scripture has. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Well, that's a fascinating, that's a fascinating story. So where you, you're at Bob Jones, they didn't, you, you parted ways you'll say, but somewhere along the way is there's where you really felt the call to ministry. Where, where did that happen? And, and how did that guide you through that educational path? Well, actually, I, actually, I think that happened to Bob Jones. And, uh, I think just, um, to, to Bob Jones credit academically, uh, you know, just whether I was taking Hebrew or Greek or, uh, systematic theology or Bible courses as I became a Bible major, um, uh, the content, you know, was, was very good. And I think, you know, as, as, as I just read the Bible and as, um, uh, the Lord stirred my heart, um, uh, that, um, that, I, 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 more of the inward call was happening. And I think Curtis, part of it was probably just going home at breaks and, going back to the church where I was raised and all at once recognizing as a more mature young adult or college student that, you know, the gospel is just not being preached here. Mm. Uh, And um, uh, I think I want to do that. You know, I think I'm, I'm feeling compelled to do that because this is, this is not good. And, um, you know, I'd see friends and, friends of my parents and, and where there just wasn't any growth, um, not much sanctification. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so I think, I think that stirred me as well. That's great. Now where, when, um, how did, how did your call to ministry get steered towards a counseling bent? Well, I, I, I got, I, I was, when I realized, okay, I'm not going to go to med school. Um, so psychology became an interest and, um, and it became a little bit of an interest. Uh, I think at Covenant, just in a couple of classes I took and more in a world and life view orientation that, you know, that all truth is, is God's truth. And, uh, and so I thought, Okay, maybe maybe I could be helpful in in this area, uh, and 
after a graduate degree in counseling psychology, I, I just, you know, I knew that there, there was more to the word than, and than any kind of sacred secular dichotomy. And, um, so I was, you know, preaching or teaching really became in, in focus. Uh, but at the same time, counseling was always a major part of that. And, um, I mean, that was just, I mean, again, that was just affirmed the other day when David Pallison's little book just came out on, mm-hmm. uh, on pastoral counseling. I mean, it's, you can sit down and read it in no time at all. Yeah. But again, just, just affirmed the major responsibility of, um, of a pastor in counseling. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's what I teach to my seminary students, um, you know, in the, in the MDiv program that, that, you know, referral is sometimes necessary and essential, but there's certain things that you need to be doing as a pastor in counseling. So it's always been a part of my ministry. I, I pastored three churches, um, I'm, I'm old, Curtis. So I mean, this <laughs> this goes back. But I, I've you know I, I pastored for ten years a, a Presbyterian church in St. Albans, West Virginia. Then I was in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, very close to Reformed Seminary. And then I planted a church in Greenville, South Carolina. Never thought I'd even be back in Greenville. Planted a church, in the real growing, fast growing part of Greenville in 1990. Was there ten years. Uh, and so all three of those churches, um, uh, counseling was pretty much a, a major part of, mm. of my ministry. Uh, people, people sought me out. Not only did I do that as, a, as a, a pastor, but also for other pastors. And, and I continued to, um, to, to read, um, you know, I did, I did study under Jay Adams and, and the D-Men courses at Westminster in California and mm-hmm. in Philadelphia and California. And, um, uh, and so that, that continued to be an emphasis. Uh, and then CCF came along uh, when, when Pallison and Ed Welch uh, started to really write more and, and, um, so I, I sort of shifted towards CCEF um, and then reading uh, a lot, going to CCF conferences, eventually came on the board of CCEF, which I'm currently on the board of CCEF. Um, that just gave me greater focus. And then about 2007, uh, I was asked to, to teach um uh, at uh, Reform Seminary in Charlotte. Mm. And uh, so I was uh, teaching in the counseling department there. At one time, I was teaching most of the counseling. Uh, And um, um, there was sort of an agreement in the faculty that uh, I would sort of introduce CCEF uh, to the Charlotte campus of RTS. And so I, I still continue to teach there uh, and um, also teach at Westminster in California and Westminster in Philly. So 
dividing your time very well across the across the country. <laughs> well, uh, it, it was, I, I have guest lectured at Covenant as well in St. Louis, but part of our denomination. But um, so that's. But I haven't pastored um, since. 1999, and that's when I became the national director of uh, the campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, which is called Reform University Fellowship, RUF, as mm -hmm. it's known. Yeah. So that's currently still working there. Uh, that's that's my main vocation. Well, that's good. Uh, I understand the having split time between a variety of different things. So appreciate, appreciate you doing that. And as a kid who grew up Baptist, I've learned, learned a lot about my Presbyterian brothers and sisters in the last few years. So, uh, it's great to, great to learn some, even more having this conversation. So tell, tell us a little bit about your, your wife and how you guys met and how you came together. Well, again, we met Actually, because of tennis, um, I was at Covenant College. Uh, I was playing in a tennis tournament at Bryan College in mm -hmm. Dayton, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And uh, in between matches, um, I met the dean of students at Bryan College, uh, who was uh, trained uh, as a Southern Baptist. He was went to New Orleans Seminary and and. and did a doctorate there, was dean at Bryan, and we got talking, just kind of hit it all between matches, and he said, well, look, I'm leaving here, and I'm going to Dalton, Georgia, uh, to pastor a church, and so when I get settled, I'm going to give you a call, come down for the weekend, and Chattanooga and Dalton, and Dalton were just like 30-minute drive, um, come down for the weekend, and we'll play some tennis, and, uh, and let's visit. So sure enough, he did call me, and uh, I went down. And uh, the first Sunday there, uh, as I was sitting in the worship service, I looked up in the choir, and there was this gorgeous redhead in the choir, and I wanted to know who it was. <laughs> and so I asked him, and uh, he said, well, I thought you might be interested, so I'll introduce you. And that's how it started. So you see, I've been playing tennis. Did he? I hadn't left Bob Jones. I hadn't gone to Covenant <laughs> College. I hadn't started playing tennis. I hadn't gone to that tournament at Bryan College. I wouldn't have met my wife. That's that's incredible. God is God is sovereign for sure pulls, over all the details. Pulls, yeah, he pulls all the strings. <laughs> so did this did this dean slash pastor know that this young gal was there when he invited you down for the weekend? He or probably was he? did. <laughs> He married us. He became he became quite a mentor. I mean, yeah. he's, he's and he did, and he uh, he uh, uh, you know when you when you look at seminary and look at the way we train people today, I, I still very much appreciate the importance of a mentor mm. during those years, and um, and can be as valuable as the as the seminary training. I learned a lot from him about ministry. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. That's <clears throat> really good. Uh, well, transitioning again to um, counseling, just some of the lessons maybe you've learned through counseling. What are some of the hardest things for you um, uh, that you've, or maybe hardest things you've faced in counseling ministry? Well, I think as a pastor and um, 
and any counseling that I do today and, and most of what I do today is teach counseling mm-hmm. as opposed to actually doing counseling. My wife is a counselor and uh, is in a private practice. Um, but my, the disappointment in people, mm-hmm. I mean, as a pastor, you know, I would just, when you'd end up having a conversation with people who are doing counseling and, and, you know, when they're, their sin is out there and it's so raw and it's so hurtful and they've hurt their husband, they've hurt their wife, they've hurt their children, they've hurt their parents. Um, those were always the saddest things because so often at times they just didn't end well. I mean, yeah, they ended in divorce or some other kind of brokenness. And, and so I think that was, that was the one thing that though that always helped me to move, continue to move toward people, uh, when I sensed that there, there were issues and I, I learned, and I probably learned this later. I, I, I wish I'd learned it sooner, but, but I learned that you just have those, those instincts, uh, as you get to know people. And, and, um, I wish I'd have probed a little bit more, a little sooner when, when I just kind of had those instincts that something weren't right. Mm. So the time you get, into counseling, the toothpaste is out of the tube and, you know, what, what, what can you do? So I think that was the one thing, the disappointment, the kind of messages people get themselves in, uh, I think was, was always just some of the, some of the hardest stuff. Addictions, um, became more and more difficult. I think in my earlier days of, of pastoring going into the mid to late seventies, it just wasn't, you know, pornography, for instance, was there, but it was, you had to go get a magazine or something. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't have the internet. Yeah. Uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Alcohol was always there, but drugs were not always a problem, especially prescription meds and those kind of things. And so mm-hmm. just the the hardness of dealing with addiction, uh, the hardness of, of dealing with eating disorders, uh, not really knowing much about that as a pastor um, and then and then learning about that and and uh, those were those were always very 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 hard cases yeah and it's where i have always advocated that man you got to you got to find a good referral network hopefully some good women counselors who understand your philosophy of ministry uh, that can help you with some of those some of those cases. So I'm a big advocate for women doing, doing counseling. Yeah. Well, thankfully, I mean, I know there's a lot of women getting trained. I know a lot of, uh, at least definitely the college level and even seminary level, a mm-hmm. large percentage of our student body is our, our female. So, uh, yeah, church definitely needs counselors of all, all varieties. So, um, when, during those hard times and the difficult things, what are some of the things that help you, carry on and continue in ministry through the hardship? Well, I, and I don't mean this in any pietistic way, but, but certainly scripture um, and being pointed to scripture through good, good reading. And uh, I think discovering how much the Puritans had to say about what we call counseling today. Yeah. I think it was, was very helpful. I became a big fan of, of, of Thomas Watson. 
Um, and, um, and then as David Powelson and, and Ed Welch started to write and, and other guys from CCF and then a lot of the Adam stuff still was very helpful. Um, I think just, just reading and, and, and the scripture just sort of confirmed how we deal with people, how we love people, um, yeah. how we move toward people, not against them, not away from them, moving toward them, um, helping them with their burdens, all the one anothering, um, uh, that good, you know, that, that good preaching, if you're, if you're a good preacher, that means that you're approachable, that people will want to talk to you. And if people do want to talk to you, that's going to make you a better preacher because you kind of know where people are yeah. uh, and, and what they're, what they're struggling with. So I, I think the whole pa- whole aspect of pastoring, um, and then friends, um, who, you know, you, you tennis court, golf course, talking on Mondays where everybody wants to quit, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, yeah. and, your, and your friends just keep you going and keep you encouraged. Um, you know, I think, I think it, and I, I argue this to churches all the time about put in your budgets. I mean, a lot of continuing education for your pastor. Mm. So, you, so they can go to gospel coalition or together for the gospel or, CCF conference or ACBC conference or, you know, any, yeah. any of those things where guys can go and get refreshed and, and spend time with other people and, and pastors got to get out more. Uh, yeah. And so. No, yeah, that's a, that's a good word. The firm foundation of scripture obviously is going to be necessary to sustain anybody in ministry in that mm-hmm. relationship with Christ, but having brother, not trying to do it alone, having brothers and sisters that we can rely on. And obviously with the BCC, that's one of the things we love is the relational aspect that we get to help hopefully develop some good relationships among mm-hmm. among counselors to spur one another on, bear each other's burdens, love one another. So yeah, that's really good. What, um, <clears throat> what are, on the flip side, what are some of your favorite things about counseling and what are, what, where do you derive the greatest joy in counseling mm-hmm. ministry? Well, obviously, I think when you really do help people and if they really repent and change Mm. or if there is just the whole process of sanctification is a great encouragement to them and their fear or their anxiety um, I mean, the struggles, weaknesses they're experiencing and, and all once they, the light comes on and they see how scripture actually applies to their, to their situation and to see the growth, um, and see the change in countenance, personality. Um, and, uh, I'll get real specific. What thrills me is when people look at the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five and see that as a major personality evaluation as opposed, as opposed to any kind of personality test, Mm. any gram or anything else. I mean, just that again, that somebody would, would 
would look at the fruit of the spirit and say, okay, there is there there are the marks of a of a mature believer. The Christian maturity is not so much in the in the gifts of the spirit, but in the fruit of the spirit. Mm. And and to see that as real personality development. Uh, and uh, so when you begin to see people not thinking they're pegged into a certain personality, uh, mm. but they see how the Holy Spirit helps them. Uh, that fruit is manufactured. Uh, that's, that's always been a great encouragement being people become kind and gentle and patient and loving and all those, all that fruit uh, becomes a part of their life. Uh, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I mean, in Galatians 5, we walk by the Spirit, we'll not carry out the desires of the flesh, so that mm-hmm. manifesting, walking with with Christ and His Spirit, transforming mm-hmm. our lives. That's that's great. It's super encouraging. Uh, can you think of any mistakes maybe you've made in counseling and lessons learned from those and how people... Well, of course, I, I've never made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know... I have made, that's why I I have like, made have so you. many mistakes, so many <laughs> blunders. Um, I just feel like at 71 years of age that I'm just beginning to understand all this, you know? Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I'll start very generally in, in the fact of just not, not always preparing well for a counseling session. Um, and, um, not thinking through homework or not taking good notes and forgetting what I said the session before, um, and just being, being kind of sloppy. Um, that was, those are things that I, I regret and, and sad that, that I did. Um, I think, I think another thing is just impatience. Um, and, uh, with, you know, the, our confession of faith mentions the fact that some sins are more heinous than others. And, so when you talk about the big, big sins that really affect a spouse or children or parents or whatever, I think just being so frustrated and, and maybe sometimes even angry with people and impatient uh, and um, just not seeing how blinded they've been by their sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've had to repent of that and ask people to forgive me and, and go back and, and try to start over and, uh, and not dismiss people too soon thinking that God wasn't at work or they were just too far gone. Um, probably one of the biggest terrible things I ever did in counseling was, um, a matter of confidentiality. And, um, um, a peer asked me to speak to his wife. I spoke to his wife. She confessed adultery and affairs. Uh, I said, you've got to tell him, but I didn't give her a time frame. I didn't say, if you don't tell him, I will. Well, I did say, if you don't tell him, I will. Uh, and he calls me the next day and he says, man, thanks so much for talking to her. And it was so helpful. I said, well, okay, how are you all doing? 
And my question should have been, what did she tell you? Mm. I didn't ask him that. I said, well, how are you all doing? He says, oh, man, we talked a lot in the evening and we're okay. And I saw the guy about four months later and we had lunch and I said, you know, just, I mean, how did you all, how did you all work through this adultery thing? Oh, wow. And he said, what are you talking about? Mm. So that, that ruined a friendship for years and we're totally ruined a friendship with her. But I mean, but with, with him, it, it did because I just wasn't careful. I mean, that was again, sloppy. Uh, so well, probably, it's probably one of my biggest blunders. I mean, there are more, there are plenty. I, I know you don't, we don't, we don't have four hours <laughs> when you talk about all my, all my blunders. But. Well, that's good. I think it's encouraging. Uh, will be encouraging for all of us to hear like, we all make mistakes. We're good. I, I try to tell all my students, you're afraid because you think you're going to make mistakes and you are. That's yeah. just the way it is. You're, we're yeah, going to make mistakes. Um, and that's one of the reasons I ask is because I want people to hear that other counselors make mistakes too and just to be mm-hmm. encouraged. Um, with that, that overall theme of kind of sloppiness and just not being careful, how, how did the Lord grow you through that and any ways that you might encourage others to avoid some of those mistakes as, as much as possible? Well... I think I think when you realize that through that process you probably you probably hurt people and in some cases I know that that I did uh, and that they didn't think I was a good pastor or a good counselor um, that um, I had to I mean I had to change and so I had to be more careful and um and um, I think all of that actually has helped me, prepared me to teach uh, because I can tell all these stories and, you know, as part of my, as part of my teaching. So, you know, there's, there's no wasted times there where you didn't, you don't learn from your mistakes. Um, mm. And, but to handle, to handle the word, word, carefully. And I guess the one thing that just hit me one day, and, and it, it, I don't think somebody else may have told me this, or I may have read it. Um, I think I was, I was always so impressed with the humility of, uh, of David Pallison and the gentleness of how David dealt with people. Um, but I think what, what hit me one day is, man, you are so careful in your preaching I mean, you read and you listen to other preachers and you you look at the language and you look at the text and you're very careful in your preaching. So in your in your public in your public preaching, you know, you're more careful than you are in your in your private teaching or preaching. And you understand I'm using the word yeah. preaching, yep. preaching at people individually, but just yep, how yep. I handle the word how I handle the word. So the public handling of the word and the private handling of the word. And so I think that, and then to know how God promises to use his word. Mm. And, uh, and so to probably become a little more bold in, in using scripture 
and in speaking scripture and reading scripture with counselees, um, those kinds of things, I think, help me to, to be a little more careful would be preaching or teaching. Yeah, no, that's really, really encouraging, really good word. Well, our time is almost up, and I, I did not uh, send you these questions ahead of time, but I hope you're equipped. I have a segment at the end called Two Minute Favorites, where we go for two minutes, and I ask you a bunch of your favorite stuff. Are you ready for something like that? I'll try. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you some softballs first, and then they'll get a little more challenging. So here we go. Uh, what is your favorite food? Fried chicken. Favorite favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Tennis. Favorite sports team? Clemson Tigers. Favorite book of the Bible? Romans. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Knowing God, J.I. Packer. Favorite gift you've ever received? Uh... An old copy of Les Mis. Favorite gift you've ever given? A really nice ring to my wife. Mm. Favorite word? Um, oh, man. Favorite word. Um, truth. Least favorite word? Sin. Favorite candy? Anything chocolate. Uh, favorite quote? Uh, it would be... It would be probably probably C.S. Lewis's. Um, if you look at people in the world, the ones who have done the most for this world are the ones who've been thinking most about the next world. Hmm. That's a that's a paraphrase, paraphrase of mere mere Christianity. Oh, fantastic. Well, that wraps up our two minutes as well as our time together on the podcast. So, Dr. Rod Mays, thanks so much for being with us on 1514. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.